0: A couple of quick reminders, uh, tomorrow morning, 10 30, be right here. Matt Parra, myself, small group, Interactive Bible Study. We want to hear what you have to say about the Bible study of the day, and that's what it's for, and of course that will be progressing while ever the uh, COVID-19 lockdown is in progress. The other thing we need to remember is to go to the end.digital, where Sharissa Tarosian and myself will be presenting on Sunday evening. We're looking forward to having you all there. And of course, every Friday evening, Sharissa and myself are going to get together to do a live question and answer segment uh, where you will be able to send in your questions, your answers from the week's Bible studies. That we have been presenting, so that we can answer those questions and answers. Okay, so that's all coming up uh, over this weekend. Lots of things happening, and don't forget to wish everybody a happy mate day. It is May eight, absolutely, which Ma- means mate, mate. Day. mate, 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 mate.
1: And also, speaking of wishing people happy days, on Monday, uh, Sunday, sorry, don't forget to wish all your mothers a happy Mother's Day.
0: You know, I, I love our Australian terminology. One of my favorite Australian terms is old mate. Old oh, mate. I use that so much. You, know, you, can talk about, you can talk about anyone anywhere in the world and you can talk about old mate and anywhere else in the world that you are. You know, you're in America or the UK or somewhere and, you, and you're talking about old mate and nobody knows what you're talking if about. I, if mate.
1: I ever forget someone's name, I, I typically refer to them yeah, as old mate. As old mate,
0: Exactly. Old mate. Yeah. And, and it's a super friendly way of describing somebody that you don't know. Indeed. You know, there's old mate walking down the street over there. And of course, you know, someone from the UK or the US or wherever, they would be like, what on earth is he talking about? And it's like, yes, we still have a little bit of Australian lingo that is all our own. I love it. I remember when I first went to the States back in the early 90s and, you know, the, whole, the Australian um, saying of no worries, you know, all the Aussies would say no worries. And it was kind of a new thing to Americans. And you know what? You go to America now. Everybody says it. No worries, man. They, it's all they good. have. They so
1: totally adopted Listen, if you're it. Listen, coming down the street. No worries. I'm gonna. I'm gonna sort you out, man. It'll be all
0: good. We adopt so much of American culture into our country. And they adopted of, some of our own because of the uh, influence of television. But we have exported something to the world, and it is positive.
1: I heard of a story when someone went to America and they used the term, the Aussie term. She'll be right. And they asked. What, what, Who's who's she? Who's this person this lady that's going to be right is she is she not right now? <laughs> it's very confusing. There's no she right here. It's, you know, there's a bunch of guys here. Who's this she that you're referring to? And yeah, my, my my mate had to explain to them exactly what was going on there. So yeah,
0: yeah, you, can, you, if, if you mix <laughs> if you mix a bit of Australian terminology with uh, a thick Australian accent and use it in the United States amongst a group of people that are unfamiliar with the Australian accent, you can actually get yourself into trouble, I found, at times. When I first went there, I was so hardcore, bogan, you can't imagine. And, um, yeah, I was talking about, you know, this bloke and that bloke and the other bloke. Well, they didn't hear the word bloke. They heard a very different word, and they thought I was being super racist. Got myself into so much trouble, like, no, no, that's not what I meant. Then calm down. (laughs) All right, we need to get into our Bible study for today, which is Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah to 8, verse 1 to 3 is the passage we're looking at. Uh, go for it, Liam.
1: Okie In October, when the Israelites had settled down in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the law had given to Israel to obey.
0: Okay, well, Let's stop there for a moment. So, so what have we got happening here? Just kind of... Uh, in verse
1: one, in verse one, we've got a group of people that are sort of all that are together, and they're all coming together. So they're all they're a group of Israelites that have moved into one location, and then in that one location, they're all meeting in a central location.
0: You're making this all complicated. I am. <laughs> so it's like okay, let's make it simple. You've got a gathering here and uh, you kind of wonder why there is this gathering. It kind of sounds like it's spontaneous, but it's not. It's actually organized. But the cool thing about it is that people have gathered together, and the number one thing that they want to hear is the Word of God. Now, for us, that would be kind of strange. Like, why would you need to gather to get somebody to read you the Word of God? But you've got to remember that the Bible in those days may have only existed in one Maybe 10 copies. There would have been very, very few copies of the Bible in existence. The average person would be hearing the Bible, you know, for like, well, there'd be a lot of people there at that time who would be hearing the Bible for the first time in their life. Imagine being a Christian, being a Christian your whole life, and you have never heard the Bible. You have never read the Bible. The Bible. It's a very experiential faith, isn't it? It is a very experiential faith and is very much a faith that is passed on by word of mouth. And of course, that comes with all kinds of dangers. Mm.
1: And on top of there only being an, a limited number of copies, I, I, I don't think they'd all know how to read either.
0: Oh, it, literacy would have been very, very low. That's why the Bible talks about Ezra the scribe. The reason that he has that title, the scribe, is because he is a literate person. Now, we would never call all literate people today a scribe. But in those days, you would. Everyone you know, would be a scribe. I uh, could be that, a scribe. That's you that's right. could you be a scribe. We're all scribes because, I mean, you, know, you and I have been sitting here with our, our, our pads of paper in front of us preparing the stories for the day and scribing. Indeed. But in those days, that was an elite position to know the art of reading and writing was kind of rare. Indeed. So not only would they not have a copy of the Bible for themselves, they wouldn't be able to read it even if they did have one. And so they've gathered together, they've sat down, and they then ask, hey, Ezra, come out and read to us the Bible. Indeed. Kind of cool experience. Okay, keep going. Okay, so verse
1: 2. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand.
0: Okay, they should have done it on, on, on May 8 rather than October 8. But anyway, that's all right. They did October 8. They missed out. Next could time. Have, could have been May 8.
1: Next time. Uh, he faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law.
0: Now, that would be interesting. Okay, how do you reckon your voice would go reading for that long? Not great. And you're reading outside. Have you ever... Have you ever? Well, you, you're an outdoor rec, so you would have done a lot of outdoor speeches. I have indeed. Okay, and when you're speaking outdoors, did you ever use like a microphone or a loud No, or?
1: no, I, I never did. Oh, well, I mean, I have in the past, but typically... Typically, you just got a group of people just, around you. Yeah.
0: Have you noticed how your voice goes nowhere when you're outside? Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> You've got gone. You've got, to, you've got to really. It, it, it goes about like a foot in front of you, and then vanishes compared to when you're, you know, yeah. in a church building or something like that, or even in our studio right here and talking on the radio.
1: It just, it just like falls. It just, yeah, it, it doesn't exist. It, 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 yeah. You've got to really pick up your voice and, and direct it. Sometimes you can cup your hands around your hands around your mouth to help project it, uh, and that does a little bit, but not, not quite as much as it needs to.
0: For about fourteen years, I used to run an annual uh, cold camp which was uh, a midwinter camp um, that involved four-wheel driving and going in the bush and all that kind of stuff, which was great fun. And one of the things that I noticed was that whenever you were presenting worship services, because we'd have worship you know morning and evening and and, and a Saturday morning worship, all that kind of stuff, which was great, but how hard it was to speak. And so one time I actually devised a way of wiring my radio mic that I used for church into my car stereo. All right. Yeah, we worked a treat too. Got everyone to hear you? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have to thrash my voice. But here you've got Ezra outside, and he is reading the Bible. Now, the only way that's going to be possible in an enormous group of people like this is, number one, the guy's got a decent voice. And he knows how to control it, and he knows how to um, project his voice without wearing his voice out. That's the first thing. The second thing that you need to note here is that it's only going to be possible if the people sit quietly if there's a bit of mumbling if there's a bit of you know um moving here moving there asking questions what you've got here is a group of people they all come together and they are so enthralled with hearing the word of god they sit there quietly And they listened for hours on end. What does it say? How many? When did he start there? Uh, Um, In the morning. Yep, early morning, and finished at noon. From the morning until midday. Well, that's probably when about when he ran out of voice and was like, "I need to take a break until the next day." Okay, so this is an interesting. We're going to come back and look at this experience in more detail and find out exactly what happened, and uh, yeah, exactly what it was that was taking place.
1: You're listening to Faith FM, Positively Different Radio.
0: Okay, so Ezra being a scribe, he loves to keep details, and he goes on in the next uh, few verses here and talks about all the people that helped him and all of the other readers, and he gives lists of names. Uh, Verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, so he stood up on a platform. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Then he lists a whole bunch more people that were there. And, well, actually, verse 7. Read for us verse... Well, do you want do you want to read verse 7? Or are you, are, 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 I can give it a red-hot go. You're going to have a crack at it? And then you can tell me <laughs> I'm pronouncing
1: it all wrong. All okay, right, so...
0: Just, just read it with confidence.
1: The Levites, the Jeshua... Benai, uh, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achub, uh, Shebatai, Hadadiah, Maseiah, uh, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Palaya.
0: Okay, I love the way you gave the uh, the uh, Polynesian pronunciation of Masaia.
1: Oh is that right or the, the, or wrong?
0: Oh I have no idea. I just I just like the Polynesian way that you did it with the uh, the double uh, the double vowel right there. Well the reason
1: why I mispronounced it the first time is because on my page it's it's split into two lines because oh, it's, that, that, the, the, the M A is at the end of one line and the, the a is at the start of the next line. So I, The
0: formatters of your Bible were just trying to mess with people, weren't they?
1: They, they were indeed. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Anyway, keep reading. Okay, so verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God and clearly
0: explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. Yeah, I like this. Mine, Mine repeats it there twice. They caused the people to understand the people stood in place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And so what you've got here is a precedent for the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes we say, well, I've heard people say you should never teach the Bible. You should just... uh, Every person should just read it for themselves. But I don't know about you, but I often read the Bible and it raises questions in my mind and it's useful for me to go and ask somebody else, hey, what do you think about... you know?" And to gain some insights from what they actually have to say. Uh, Here you've got... That's exactly what is taking place. They're reading through it, they're stopping, giving some insights, expanding on it, expounding on it, and then continuing on from there.
1: Essentially, having a modern-day Bible study.
0: It's exactly what's taking place. It's not a small group Bible study. This is a large group Bible study. Indeed. It's a little bit like you know this is this is this is kind of like Ezra, do what, Ezra, Ezra doing what we're doing right now. Yeah, he is speaking to the masses. About the Word of God. What an incredible
1: privilege, eh? It'd be. It's a privilege for me, yeah. uh, let alone
0: the, back in the day, way back when. Absolutely. Okay, so then there's less, there's this question comes up Why is a clear understanding of Scripture so important for us? Not just as individuals, but corporately as Christians. It, uh, it unites us as one.
1: Like in in a corporate, I think of corporation. Particular words I associate with different things. Like a corporation, I think of a big business. And if in a big business everyone is all functioning under the same set of rules, under the same beliefs, under the same practices, same doctrines. Same doctrines. Yep. They would all function for a common goal. They would all function in the way that would be best for that business.
0: Okay. So, what's the most important question in the Bible?
1: Uh, There's plenty. I don't know which one's most. Salvation. Salvation, yeah. Yeah. Salvation Salvation is the most important
0: question. If we don't have a clear understanding of the Bible, do we have a clear understanding of salvation? No. No, that's going to be a problem, isn't it? And so what good is it, uh, you know, as Jesus himself told us of the world, if, if we gain the whole world and lose our own souls, and of course if we don't have a clear understanding of the Bible, we can't even have a clear understanding of the doctrine of salvation. And this is one of the things that bothers me about people who get away from a a plain reading of the Bible as it is written because the moment they do, unless otherwise indicated, now obviously we talked about this before, there are plenty of places where it is otherwise indicated, do not take this literally. You know, When you talk talk about a a beast with uh, ten horns and seven heads, it's like, yeah, do not take that literally. Uh, That is clearly indicating symbolic language. But if we don't take that concept of a plain reading unless otherwise indicated, then we can make whatever part of the Bible we want to be allegorical. And let's say, and I'll use the most popular one, Let's say that we take Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis, as being allegorical, or the first ten chapters of Genesis as being allegorical, and we use our intelligence and our mind and our reasoning to decide that that is allegorical. Then if we use that same principle, why can't we take John 3.16 and do exactly the same thing? It's an interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, it... Because if you can do it, if you have the right to do that to the first, say, ten chapters of Genesis, then you also have the right to do that to John three sixteen and John three sixteen, you know, most famous verse in the Bible: "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life." It's a great passage, the most popular, the most memorized. Verse that there is in the whole Bible which really describes the plan of salvation and the gospel message, sort of neatly put into one or two sentences. But what meaning does that verse have if you do away with the first ten chapters of Genesis? Has none. It, no. There's none whatsoever at all because the only reason it's is there is because you like it. Yes, And the only reason that the first 10 chapters of Genesis are not there is because you don't like them. Mm. What about if you reverse that equation? What if I come along and I say, well, you know, I'm the opposite of you. I like the first 10 chapters of Genesis, but I don't like John 3.16. How are you going to argue against me? And now the whole doctrine of salvation is just out the window and the whole of Christianity just crumbles Mm. right there. Because what you have done is you have said, I know more about the Bible than God does who wrote the Bible. And by implication, what you're saying, therefore saying is, I am God because I know more than God on this subject. And if there is any subject we in which you know more than God, then you are God. Because God is the one who knows the most. And if you know the most, then that's who you are. Um, so it's a pretty arrogant position to take, you know, to do, you know, we could talk about the book of Daniel, there are other books like that that people like to do away with, but um, they are rather arrogant approaches to take um, if you're going to start, you know, deciding using your mind and your intelligence, what part of scripture is relevant and what part of scripture is not relevant, what part is allegorical and what part is not allegorical, what part is symbolic and what part is not symbolic. Okay, let's go to let's go to where's our next verse that we're heading to? Second Peter chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. Do some people try and twist what Possibly. the Bible has to say?
1: All right, so verse fifteen and sixteen of the third chapter of the second book of John. Uh, it uh, says Second Peter. Uh, second Peter, that's what I meant. The okay, second, Peter. yeah. Anyway, uh, and remember, our Lord's patience give. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. Speaking of these things in all of his letters, some of his comments are hard to understand and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And this will result in their destruction.
0: Okay, so the issue of twisting Scripture... Did that, is that a new thing?
1: No, absolutely not.
0: been around for a long time according to this passage, hasn't it? And this is one of the one of the uh, points that we need to look at is the unity of Scripture. Because when you consider the unity of Scripture and you take Scripture as a whole, what it reveals is you can't build a doctrine off one verse. Uh, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, at the very least should everything be established. And because you can't build the Bible, build a doctrine off one verse... You know, people can take something that Paul writes. For example, Paul writes, All Israel shall be saved. And so some people take that and say, Okay, salvation is based on DNA. Not based on morality, it's not based on your relationship with God. It's all about DNA. Whereas when you look at the context, Paul is talking about spiritual Israel. And spiritual Israel is God's church. Those who are truly, truly saved members of God's church, and of course, all saved people will be saved. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith
1: FM. Positively different.
0: Okay, where are we up to? Second Peter chapter 3. We were reading. Uh, oh, uh, one more thing, but a quick reminder. Quick reminder. I, I'm just a bit too keen here today. Uh this Sunday, Sunday. evening, the digital. Make sure that you go there, go and check it out right now. But get ready for it on Sunday evening, Sharissa Tarosian and myself presenting a series on Bible prophecy in the context of the times in which we live right now. So the end.digital that will be a series. It will include a live uh video question and answer se- session that Sharissa and I will be presenting. Um, on Friday evening but there's going to be a series of 30 minute presentations that we will do in the lead up to that now um, and of course tomorrow morning do join us right here on Faith FM uh, for small group Bible study with Matt Parra and myself as we dig into uh, small group Bible study for the week 2nd Peter chapter 3 and verse 16 I want to read it from my translation because it's going to give you a unique uh, perspective right here It says in verse fifteen, and account that the long suffering or the patience of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul also, according to the wisdom that God gave him has written unto you. So, So basically Peter's saying, Hey, Paul and I have been writing the same thing to you. But then he goes on also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or, 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 or to, to rest is Old English, to move it, um, as they do, or, or twist it, who are unstable, twist it, as they do also the other scriptures under their own interpretation. Now, there's a something very, very subtle within this verse. There's something very subtle in the last two lines of this verse that reveals to us the attitude and the teaching of the New Testament authors in relationship to the New Testament. So one of the questions that you know often goes through people's minds is that the New Testament authors' their Bible was the Old Testament. That was the only Bible that Jesus had. New Testament hadn't, hadn't yet been written. But when you come down to this particular point, you do have a number of books of the New Testament that have been written. And Peter speaks about them. You know, Paul has been writing books of the New Testament. When Paul wrote those books, Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, whatever, were they immediately recognized as being a part of Bible or were they just like okay this is some great material that's coming from Paul. This is a very valid question and I want you to notice here in the last two lines of this verse the answer is given where it says that those are unlearned and unstable, twist it as they do also the other scriptures now when they say the other scriptures that can be referring to the Old Testament but other is other than the scriptures that Paul is writing so other scriptures in other words scriptures other than the ones that Paul is writing therefore the ones that Paul is writing are part of the scripture are part of the the Bible, and I find this very, very fascinating because it reveals to me, you know, a historical truth in relationship to the development of the New Testament and of the Bible, and that is that the books of the New Testament were recognised as inspired books of the Bible of the biblical canon um, by the disciples who were writing them and the disciples who were reading them they were recognized by their contemporaries as being part of the Bible and referred to as being authoritative. And so when Peter writes this here, he refers to Paul's writings. He says, okay, some of what Paul has to say is hard to understand. And anybody who's written the writings of Paul will know exactly what he's talking about. Paul can be challenging, uh, probably the, the most challenging New Testament writer that there is. But... While they are hard to understand, he states it's the same message. You know, we haven't changed the message in any way, shape, or form. It's exactly the same message. And also that, you know, this is the gospel message and it is authoritative. So, Paul's works, Peter's works, James's works, Jude's works, John's works in the Bible, are all authoritative in nature. They are all Luke's works, Matthew's, Mark's, are all a part of Scripture and hold equal authority, according to the New Testament writers, as do the books of Moses. Okay, so uh, we've got a little bit of time left here. And let's look here. Here's an interesting one. Revelation chapter 14. Verse 6, Revelation 14, verse 6. Spent some interesting time on the end program talking about uh, this particular passage, and very excited to share with you some of the things that. Um, I was able to delve into on you the give end. us a sneak peek. Okay, so I've done I've done a couple of different presentations out of Revelation chapter 14. I did one presentation on the subject of the Antichrist because he's mentioned in verse, uh, verse uh, Revelation 14 ver- where am I? I'm looking at the wrong page here. Revelation 14 verse 9. There's another presentation on the mark of the beast. There's another rev- presentation on the judgment. These are all coming out of Revelation chapter 14. And I just recorded one on Babylon, which is a presentation I've never, ever done before. And I've got to tell you, you're going to have to listen to this one. It is, it is hard-hitting stuff. You know, the message about Babylon is one in the Bible where the Bible just doesn't hold back. And it, the, the Bible just on this one, it just comes out swinging and doesn't stop. And for half an hour I did a presentation on this subject. I'm just moving from, you know, one verse in the Bible to the other. And as I was putting the presentation, you know, presenting the presentation and seeing how it was coming together, I was like, wow, this is this is significant stuff. You know, Babylon is mentioned in Genesis chapter 10. Yeah, that's right at the beginning of the Bible. And it goes right to the end of the Bible. You know, it's. Right down here in chapter 18, you find Babylon. And then, of course, you find Jerusalem uh, one page over in Genesis chapter 14. And Jerusalem goes then the same distance through the Bible, just staggered by two chapters. Right down to Revelation chapter 22. Sunday, 8 p.m., is where to go to.
1: Is the time to Yeah, find I was about it. to
0: get into this verse. The Bible describes uh, Revelation 14, 6 through 12, as, uh, or, or I would say 7 through 13, as the everlasting gospel. Indeed. Sorry, I cut you off.
1: That's okay. No, well, I was just looking at time. We're almost out of time. So yes, Sunday, 8 p.m., the end.digital is the place to go if you want to find more interesting things about the end times. And here, listen to Lyle, dive into this uh, passage of the Bible, Revelation 14.